Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. Hey, hey, I just wanted to pop on here real quick before the episode starts and give a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Now that that's out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy it because it helps the podcast grow. And don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. We have been on a a hiatus, a break, a respite period, but we are back for season three and we are so freaking excited. I have Paige here with me. Say hi. Hey. Hey everybody. I'm stoked and feeling fresher than fresh, whatever that means. But I'm here and I'm so excited because we spent our entire breakaway, not only rest and recovering, but really trying to pump out the best of content for you guys for season three. Yes. And we have a theme for season three. Should we tell everybody what it is if they don't already know? If you don't already know, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to more episodes because girl, we got you. Tell them, Lindsay, what is it? is ADHD. So we are going to talk about how ADHD impacts us as women, as parents, as business owners, and then the trickle-down effect of parenting neurodivergent kids when you are neurodivergent yourself. Yes, and I'm so excited because not only are we continuing our monthly Q&As, which if you haven't yet, you have full access to Lindsay and I answering your parenting questions. When you send them through TikTok, Instagram, or our email, which is mindfulasamotherpod at gmail. Once a month, we do a QA and a where we answer those live to kind of give some support and help and create community so we know we're not alone. Additionally, once a month, we have scheduled podcast guest interviews with specialists in the field for ADHD to talk about tools, skills, resources, things to just make your life easier and how to access them for yourself and for your kids. I am so freaking excited about this too, because I was looking at the guest list and it's all people that I secretly just want to talk to, to get answers from. So it's very selfish, but I'm so excited about it. Me too. So we have a ADHD specialist who is a psychiatrist. We have a speech language pathologist. And then we also have a sensory occupational therapist. So lots of like extra add-ons and then pieces in there. We will just be interviewing like life coaches, which a lot of people don't know, life coaching or ADHD parent coaching or ADHD coaches for your own life and management exist and they're helpful. And also we have some people who specialize in making products for people who are neurodivergent. So like planners, journals, to-do lists, things that can help you hack your brain. So this season is just so full and voluptuous with information and value. Not to be a weirdo, but it's going to be lit. It's going to be lit. We're walking into 2023 as healed people or healing people. We're making space for a journey of healing. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> and when we talk about healing, something that a lot of people ask me about is like natural supplements or things that mm-hmm. help um, when they struggle to focus. And we have both found something that is super helpful to us. And we've talked about it here on the podcast before. It is called Magic Mind and it's a little green shot you take every morning, the cutest bottle most relaxing packaging. And it really does help me get in like that flow state or work. I notice on the days that I don't take it for sure. Yeah. And actually this morning I was managing some personal stuff in my life. And so I was feeling a lot of anxiety, very scattered right before I hopped on to get on here and talk to you guys. I was like, I have so much to get done today. And I feel like I cannot manage myself. And this morning I worked out, which is another ADHD hack. I also meditated, but I still was feeling anxious. I popped one of my little shots, which has nootropics and ashwagandha and a couple other things. And now I'm feeling like prepped, ready. And I have that. It's not an anxious focus. Like I get when I drink a lot of espresso where I like need to be moving constantly. It, it's internal. Like in my brain, I feel like I can focus on one thing. Like it feels calmer. Yeah. And it doesn't like um, send my nervous system into fight or flight, like excessive amounts of caffeine does for me. So like you said, it's like a calm, steady, like I can focus. And sometimes I forget I've even taken it. And I'm like, man, Mm -hmm. I'm having like a real good day. I'm real productive. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh, I know what it is. Yeah. And the flavor reminds me of just going to a juice bar and having a green juice. And actually my oldest who also has ADHD, um, started drinking some when I was sleeping in one day and I was like, don't drink those. Those are mine. But also she had a completely different day. So I just thought that that was fun that for her at eight years old, it was like a safe, tasty supplement that in the end actually provided positive benefits for her. Mm -hmm. I love it. So go check out the link in our show notes to grab your magic mind page has a code for us. What is it? Yes. So the link itself is www.magicmind.co forward slash motherhood. And you get 40% off your subscription for the next 10 days when you use our code motherhood. And I recommend getting the subscription at first, especially if you want to try it, because you need to take it 15 days in a row to get maximum benefits and you're going to get a mad discount. So the code is motherhood, M-O-T-H-E-R, hood, H-O-O-D, motherhood. Hey, well, let's dive into this first episode of season three. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. We're so grateful you're here. Welcome to season three. This is Paige. And Lindsay. And we're in person recording. Yeah, we are. We are recording a lot of episodes all at once to make sure that you guys get as much content as we can possibly push out to you. Yes. And I think this is the first, is this the first episode we've done in person? together yes look at us normally it's over zoom so i'm loving it um so today this season is going to be based on and around adhd and neurodivergence we specifically picked out a book written by tamara rosier she has a phd and she's a specialist and expert in adhd who also is diagnosed with adhd herself and so what we're doing is we're taking it piece by piece to break it down for you guys and understanding the impact of neurodivergence and ADHD in your lives, how to manage it, how to create systems that are sustainable, understanding your kids, how it plays into your parenting. What am I missing? No, that's it. All the things. That's all the things. So just a slight disclaimer, um, neurodivergence and ADHD show up differently for each person. So per usual, and we recommend this in all of our workshops, we want you to take what applies now and leave the rest for later. You can always come back. 
um, and then reach out to us with any questions. Yeah. Yeah. And if something feels like it doesn't fit for you or doesn't work for you, that's okay. And that's why it's so cool that Paige and I are both neurodivergent and we're a little bit different. And so it's going to, our ADHD presents differently. And so we're going to have different things that work for us and different tips and tricks and insights. And so it will help you take what's yours or what applies to you. Yes, exactly. And in the book, there's a phrase that she mentions of once you understand the signs of neurodivergent, you'll be able to see it in yourself and pretty much everywhere. I have a personal belief that every human is somewhere on a neurodivergent spectrum, but it has yet to be proven by science. So I'm going to just hold that. That's all opinion, guys. That's not science. I agree, though. Not facts, but I agree. <laughs> not facts. <laughs> Fake news, Fake as news. we like to say. You're going to get canceled. <laughs> You're going to get mindful as a mother canceled. <laughs> On the first episode of season three. So let's dive right in. I saw this the other day and so I'm going to ask, what do you get when two therapists meet online and become best friends? A marriage? They start a podcast. Oh, us. Yeah. I was like, how funny that really happened. Yes. (laughs) That's a meme. That's our meme. That's our meme. That's our life. And with that, I want to talk a little bit about the origin story of mindful as a mother Lindsay what is mindful as a mother and how did we get here we were just talking about this because I was trying to remember exactly because I have the worst memory thank you ADHD and I think what it was is so Paige was one of the first guests I had on the podcast when I started it in 2021 right 2021 I don't know. Whenever I started, she was one of the first guests that I had. And and we kind of just clicked. We knew we were on the same wavelength. We were soulmates. And we did a lot of, like, collaboration and stuff online. And we started doing, like, offerings and courses together. And then at the end of the first season of the podcast, Paige kind of pitched me and was like, I'm here to help you. Can I help you with the podcast? And now we're married. We have a whole business together. This is it. Mindful as a mother is its own entity. We have virtual offerings. We parent coach. We have a social media presence. Like it kind of blew up. Mm -hmm. And what do you think it is about our partnership that helps us be successful? Um, So one, the fact that you like pitched me and you take initiative in that way. So like I was thinking about it, but like I hadn't taken action on it because I'm not a long-term planner and you are. And so that's what's made us be so successful is because you really ground me in that way where I'm just more like, I just show up and do the thing. And so do you remember what I said to you when you said, Hey, let me help you with the podcast? No. I I think I said I was going to ask you that. Like I'd been thinking about it, but like I had taken zero action towards it. Yeah, you're like, I was thinking something similar and it was very casual conversation. Yeah. Which now we have like a a weekly meeting and quarterly goals and a tax ID. Yeah. It's, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. So that's what works. And then we're also like very attuned intentionally to each other and the way we operate and like understanding. So we know our strengths and weaknesses and um, we really support and help each other where we're at. And I think that's what's made this so successful in such a short amount of time. And I don't mean to discredit like the time consistency and effort we put into it, but um, we have been very successful in the time that we've been doing this. Yes, I agree. And so in the introduction of this book, the book is called Your Brain is Not Broken. 
by Tamara Rosier, PhD, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions in Life with ADHD. Um, she talks about her experience walking into a room of a party and naturally gravitating towards individuals with ADHD and that it's not an intentional process. And it really made me think about both of us being neurodivergent and how we more or less gravitated towards each other. And we even have like a collaboration group with another individual who identifies as ADHD and um, how it makes sense. So she walks through this and talks about how the symptoms of ADHD are mostly invisible and in social situations because how we operate isn't necessarily understood or seen as like a physical thing. People don't see how we are adapting and adjusting for socially appropriate, you can't see my air quotes, but socially appropriate behaviors. So for instance, I could be having a conversation and typically I would interject often. Um, And I make connections to things in my brain that the other person's like, I'm not sure what you said there. I'm like, oh, well, you mentioned rocks and it made me think of gems. And the last gems I got were at the ice caves in Shoshone. And I thought you would really like it because of the history behind it. And we should plan a trip there. And now we're off on like this whole side tangent, right? That sometimes isn't socially acceptable and take that lens and apply it to children, right? And how it can really provide like a barrier and understanding with other adults because of ego complexes and other things, but also in creating and sustaining like social relationships with with adults, like in an adult scenario. And my favorite quote that she said is, pretending to be a grown-up and hog-tying impulsive thoughts and actions causes social fatigue. Yes, so fast. And I feel like my entire internal monologue when I'm socializing is, don't interrupt, don't interrupt, don't interrupt, don't interrupt. Yes. Like, I'm so focused on, like, remember this thought, but also don't interrupt this person. Yes, while also trying to actively listen, mm-hmm. right? So I actually last year set a goal for myself that when I'm meeting somebody new, I would try to learn three new things about them and then quiz myself on it later. I don't know if I that's that. normal, but that I was like, hey, this will make, like, I'm actively listening and I'm trying to, like, check off one, two, three things new that I learned about this person to like engage in the conversation in a more socially appropriate way. I just try and avoid meeting new people. That's it. Just That's the answer. <laughs> um, so she talks about how she works in a social situation and then it becomes somewhat exhausting to have to control these impulses or to what really I think the term most people would recognize is mask. Mm-hmm. Right? We're masking because mm-hmm. we're trying to be socially appropriate. And I think an important thing to understand is that everybody is masking all the time because we're all conditioned um, to be socially appropriate and acceptable, whether you're neurodivergent or not. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it applies more so or more intensely for people that are, are neurodivergent. Yes, exactly. Do you want to share what neurodivergence is if someone's listening and maybe they've never heard that term before? Yeah, so there there are two terms, neurotypical and neurodivergent. And so neurotypical would be how we would expect the human brain to typically process and hold information. Um, and neurodivergence would be that there's what I explain to my clients and to the kids that I work with is that our brain is wired differently. Um, and so things that might be easy to other people, we have to brain hack and find a way around. But we're always adaptable and always able to create those connections and figuring out what works for us. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Would you add anything to that? No. 
Okay. So that's really it. And I really try to empower the people who identify as neurodivergent in whatever, whatever label that looks like or diagnoses that looks like to remember plasticity of the brain and the ability of our brain to overcome these challenges by wiring itself for us to create successful tasks. Mm -hmm. And so that's what this podcast, this season of the podcast is really about is understanding how your brain is wired differently and then allowing for strengths and systems to put into place to rewire for your success and the success of your children. Yes. And I think something that maybe we haven't explicitly said we'll cover, but I know that we'll get into is like how this impacts parenting and parenting neurodivergent children. Yes. So some of the symptoms that the author lists herself, I think are important. And the next episode that we'll do is all in chapter one and it'll list each symptom and how it might show up for adults. And we could talk about how it might show up for kids. Um, but is paying attention in meetings, um, remembering things. So like out of sight, out of mind is very, very real and unintentional. Listening to directions, completing tasks, misplacing stuff. Um, I've had to, I have to go back to the car three or four times in the morning because I'm like, oh, I forgot that thing and I got to go get it and put it in the car because I'm preparing for the day, right? So funny. We were just this morning, we're staying in an Airbnb and I was looking for my phone and I was telling Paige, like the number one reason I have an Apple watch is so I can ping my phone to find it because I just lose it yeah. all the time. Yes. And so with this is the tie-in that these differences in the wiring of the brain sometimes are not understood or they're misunderstood. And um, then that's how we tie it into self-esteem. And I want to take just a tiny step back. So I am losing things often. Like I lost my mail key. I keep it in the same place. I set up systems for myself. So my mail key is attached to my lanyard and I only have one. And I took it off one day because there was like vehicle maintenance that needed done, but I needed to go to the post office. And then it was like disappeared. No idea where it is. Can't remember where I put it. And I had to pay to get another mail key, which is like 15 bucks and a two week wait where I couldn't collect any mail. And there's important documents in there, right? So these little inconveniences or replacing things or impacts of relationship is something that we call ADHD tax. Yes. I pay a lot of ADHD taxes, specifically in like the food area, I feel like, related to food. Like food preparation, having food go bad because I forget about it, meal planning and having to DoorDash. Yeah. Absolutely. And so what we do is we come up with systems and things to hopefully lessen the tax, but there's always some kind of tax to pay. Like I misplaced a set of my winter gloves that I used last weekend, so I have to buy more winter gloves. I don't know where they are. I'm like, what I tell myself is they'll eventually show up, but probably not before I need them. (laughs) The only thing certain in life is death and ADHD taxes. No, just kidding. Yes. And so another ADHD tax is self-esteem and self-worth. And so the author talks about how oftentimes these character, these symptoms and the way we operate these taxes are not understood or misunderstood and they get assigned as character traits. So mm-hmm. she's been viewed as careless. She's been called lazy or stupid when in fact that's not the case. Like I'm not lazy because I didn't unload the dishwasher. I the dishwasher door was shut and I forgot that they were clean. Mm-hmm. Like, out of sight, out of mind. Or not careless because you lost your mail key. Yes. I'm not careless because I lost my mail key. It just is gone. Yeah. Trolls. So, gob- goblins stole my ma- mail-, mail key because it's shiny. Uh-huh. Okay. Or your kids took it to play with it. Yeah, ADHD goblins. 
That's it. That's chapter two. That's the answer. There's an episode <laughs> in chapter two. We'll get there. Okay. So I want to tie in self-esteem. And I want to tie it into um, children. Okay. Because self-esteem, when a child is struggling, typically, right? We have this ADHD tax where it's impacting our social relationships. It's impacting our parent-child relationships because our kids are forgetting stuff or they're not listening. They're not able to follow directions. And so it really impacts the self-esteem. And something, too, that we'll talk about is the emotional reactivity Mm -hmm. of individuals that are neurodivergent feel usually more intensely. Mm -hmm. So something small like that um, can really result in intense feelings of shame. And um, so... There's this thing called labeling theory. Okay. You familiar with that? A little. A little. First, I called a confirmation bias and that was wrong. I was like, what is this thing? I couldn't remember. So labeling theory was established essentially in the 1960s and it was applied and adapted a lot throughout. But the concept is the more that we label, characteristically label a person, the more that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is like also... When you think of your reticular activating system, which is your your brain notices things that you're aware of. So like, say you want to buy a new Ford Explorer because I want a new Ford Explorer. And so then you start seeing Ford Explorers all over the road yeah. because your brain, your brain is aware of that and it notices things it's aware of. It also works with flaws. So if you think I'm stupid and lazy, you're going to only see the areas in which you're yes. stupid and lazy. Yes. The way, so I love little pocket phrases is what I call them. So my pocket phrase for this, because it's also something that happens when we're discussing anxiety, mm-hmm. um, is what you perceive, you receive. Yes. So what you perceive, you receive, which is kind of a tongue twister. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about children, these symptoms of the wiring differences of the brain are now um, being discussed as character traits and flaws, right? Being lazy, of being careless, of being defiant. Um, And so when we do this, the author speaks on this also, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And this happens for adults too, not just kids. But this is an important parenting piece here. Like the more that we tell our kids they are something, even inadvertently, the more likely they are to live up to the label that you're providing. And so um, she says that when we receive these small messages, they build up and leave dents in our self-esteem. If you think of it like a car. There's a lot of car analogies. So I want to talk about the emotional impact of ADHD on kids. And so when you are neurodivergent, you experience emotionality in different ways. And two of those differences, one is the level of intensity. Yes. So intense. Yes. So with intensity, what it looks like is we could have a minor inconvenience or a small situation, but our brain is interpreting it as a level 10, right? It's still going to interpret it as a danger. And so even if it's a small thing, we're having the emotional response of a big thing. Mm-hmm. Would you add anything to that? Well, so I just want to add like the the flip side of this, the positive side of this, the way this is a superpower is that you also experience joy, gratitude, excitement, and the more comfortable feelings and um, positive, quote unquote, I don't like labeling feelings, but feelings just as intensely. Mm-hmm. And so when you're feeling like, uh, it really stinks that I feel rejection so deeply or I feel disappointment so deeply, you also feel 
the positive feelings really intensely. And that's the superpower in ADHD. Yes. So everything that we talk about as a symptom of ADHD has a weakness, but it also has a strength. Like it, it can become a superpower. Mm-hmm. And so the emphasis of providing the education and how the brain is wiring and what you might be experiencing is for you to use it as a superpower. And the more that we have the knowledge of what we're experiencing and why, the self-awareness, right? I'd call that self-awareness. As we build that self-awareness in ourselves and our children, it becomes easier to manage. Yes, and easier to accept and integrate parts of yourself without placing like limitations or labels on yourself yes. or your children. Yes, exactly. So the second part of emotionality, uh, well, actually, let's, let me stay a minute on intensity. So the author gives this example that I love because I've run into this before and I have examples. And this applies to parenting was she was speaking to a group of parents of children of ADHD and um, one of the parents came up and was like, oh, I'll take this glass, this water glass for you and put it away because I'm sure you'll forget. And then winked, like trying to be funny. And then it immediately sparked like feelings of shame mm-hmm. um, in the pre- presenter. And she kind of sat with it in process because she knows it wasn't an ill intent. Right. Mm-hmm. But now we're assigning some of those negative characteristics of forgetfulness, of lazy onto that person unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I had already put in systems, like I put my presenting remote right next to my cup so I wouldn't forget it. But the, the, that well-meaning parent wasn't aware, right? And so when we talk about intensity, we are logically, we know the other person didn't mean ill intent. As an adult, I know that wasn't meant to be a critical statement, but it still felt critical because of the intensity of the experience. I want to add something real quick. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this can commonly be named like rejection sensitive dysphoria and um the brain feels this in the same way that it feels physical pain Mm -hmm. in a neurodivergent person so it is like someone chopped your arm off when someone criticizes you so if you're not neurodivergent and you're listening to like really help you understand the intensity of what maybe your child with adhd is feeling or um a friend or family member like it is the intensity of physical pain the brain perceives it in the same way Mm -hmm. absolutely and so that's so important to know in a parenting perspective because there are times like my oldest kiddo is is almost eight now um and she's neurodivergent and so there are times when we'll say a flippant comment as a parent not meaning to be critical Mm -hmm. but it comes across like critical against a character like it's her character Mm -hmm. it's part of her and so the most recent one was um, we had, a, I don't know if you know the saga, but we had lizard and then it died and we mm-hmm. got another lizard and then that one died. I think it was a bad batch at Petco, if we're going to be honest, because it wouldn't even, it didn't even grow like it was supposed to, but um, not operator errors. So don't at me, but um, it was like, Hey, we're going to wait to get more pets. And I think her father phrased it as like, we're just going to wait until we're a little more responsible before we have any more pets. So now she's on this rampage where she's trying to prove her, prove that she is a responsible kid right and so is that why she's babysitting the dog this weekend yeah okay she's babysitting the puppy one for money she's money motivated love it but two kind of girl because she wants to prove that she is responsible and she also like it's also been associated with we don't have a phone 
until we're older and more responsible, which I changed the phrasing of, which I'll talk about reframing as a parenting skill next. But she's like, I'm responsible. And I'm like, never in my life will my eight-year-old have a cell phone. No judgment to anyone that does that. I'm not in a position where it's a necessity for mine. So she's not getting a cell phone. It doesn't matter how responsible she is. But she's like, I am very responsible. And so those are the two focuses, uh, pets and phones. She's trying to prove her responsibility. Um, so that's just an example of in parenting when we made a comment, like not trying to intentionally criticize, mm-hmm. right? And we all make those mistakes as parents. Everybody, every human will make those mistakes. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think sometimes people hear that and they think that's a lot of freaking pressure to say the right thing all the time. And that's where gentle parenting, I'm using hand quotes here, gets like the bad rap. is like, it's hard to say the perfect thing all the time. And that's not the point. The point is to not is to say not to say everything perfectly so you don't unintentionally create something in your child like the need to prove responsibility right yeah. and there's importance and lessons to be learned in the reframing and adjusting from that yeah. so it's necessary to not say everything perfectly and you can take the pressure off yourself to do it perfectly yes exactly so with that, I saw this TikTok the other day that was like, I don't want to be the reason my kids go to therapy. And I just want to break it to you guys, everybody here, if you haven't heard it yet, you will. Like your kids will probably need to go to therapy. Like we will all traumatize our kids in some way, shape or form. Okay. So I don't want yeah. to take that pressure off right now. Like you're never going to be perfect. We're all making mistakes. Well, and so I have two thoughts with that. One is that Um, I think the hardest thing to accept and the sooner you accept it as a parent, you let go of the, the perfectionistic parenting, um, and perfection culture in parenting, um, is that you'll never, you are going to be your child's biggest trauma probably as a parent Mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. And that is not, and that, that was like a hard pill for me to swallow because of my own childhood, but it doesn't mean that you're a bad mom or you don't love your kids or it's not repairable or they can't work through it when they're older. Mm-hmm. And the awareness around that and your openness and awareness to work through those things with them is what makes you heal and grow together. But I think that's a hard pill for a lot of parents to swallow because we love our kids so fucking much that we don't want to be that person, but because they were born to us and more responsible for them, we are automatically that person. Yeah. And just letting go of that, trying to let go of that, doing the work around that is super important. And then the second thing I wanted to say is that my only goal in parenting is to f- to fuck my kids up less than I was fucked up. Like, and I think if you Amen. like, if you do that, you are on the right trajectory of like generational healing mm-hmm. and you can like feel proud of yourself. Yes, absolutely. And I try to f- reframe it which is the skill we're going to talk about next but I try to reframe it in the way of like I've approached my parents about specific things that impacted me in my childhood and I met with you know denial refusal all the things I think a lot of us and our listeners and our generation are met with Mm -hmm. and I reframe it and it's like I hope to God someday that my kid will come to me and tell me the things that impacted her negatively that unintentionally happened Mm -hmm. and I at that time I want to respond in the way that I wish my parents had. And that your kids feel the safety in being able to approach you and have those conversations. Yes. Without fear. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So fucked up my eight-year-old. And the next thing. So first thing was emotional intensity. Yes. Right? So we're going to experience things very intense and we're going to experience rejection, criticism, shaming, doubt, all those types of things in a very physical, physically painful way, almost interpreted by the brain. 
The second part of the emotionality I wanted to discuss was control. Because um, if you've ever thought, my kid goes from zero to 60 so quick, like I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like all of a sudden she's just totally flying off the wall and two minutes later she's fine and everything's good. Mm-hmm. And so the ability for an individual who's neurodivergent to control their emotions is more challenging, not impossible, not a skill we don't have or can't develop, but it makes it more difficult because of the intensity we experience the emotion. And and something I've recognized um, in myself and in other neurodivergent people is it's it most of the time it's fast up, mm-hmm. but if you ride the wave, it's also fast down. Yes. So that was the skill I was going to talk about was riding the wave. So tell me a little bit about what riding the wave is. Okay, well, I hope we're talking about the same thing. But for me, it's about not resisting the emotion. And it's about, like, finding a safe way. Um, And by safe, I mean, like, a way that you're not lashing out at people or yourself to hold space for yourself in the moment of that emotion. Taking a breath. um, Using a skill. Regulating your nervous system so that when you do act, you're responding rather than reacting. Yes. Yes, we're talking about the same thing. So when we're talking about a wave, a wave has a peak and then it also has a fall, right? So when we're talking about riding the wave, we're going to ride it up quick. It's going to be a quick incline. And so what Lindsay says when she says we're going to be using skills, we're going to do da-da-da-da, those are coping skills, right? That is a hot term right now, coping skills. So we're using coping skills to not away the emotions. We're not trying to get rid of them. We're not trying to fix them. We're not trying to like shame ourselves for having them because it's a normal, but we're accepting them and meeting ourselves where we're at, sitting with it, even though it's uncomfortable, and then it'll come back down. So what this looks like in parenting is teaching our kids how to recognize when they are riding the wave, what the peak is like, and learning skills to move it back down. And this is a whole process. So something that I often recommend, and I actually have a resource for this. So if you want this, shoot us an email. We, um, it's It'll be in the stand store. I'll make it like a $2 offer. So this is a scale. And for different kids, it has different numbers. And the stand store will be in the link in our show notes. And it's also on our TikTok, Mindful as a Mother. Follow. So it's a scale of like one through five or one to 10 in like different color codings. And so as a parent, you are able to view more of what it looks like when, they, when they're like totally calm and neutral. And then as they start to, to rise. So we want to support our kids and being able to build the self-awareness of what that looks like. So oftentimes I help parents work through this scale of like, this is what it looks like when I'm, when I'm a number one, totally fine. Like I had a really good day. This is what a number two looks like. This is what a number three looks like. And as the parent, I can be like, so I know that sometimes when we, we're kind of sassy, that's the word we use in our house, when we're being kind of sassy and just don't want to be around anybody, that's more of like a three um, and helping my kid identify some of those. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I also wanted to add that body awareness is 
where feelings land first. Feelings land in our body first before yeah. we're cognitively aware of them. And the younger you teach kids that, the better off they will be. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many human beings, kids and adults, out there disconnected from their body sensations and their emotions that th- they don't know what they're feeling or what they're experiencing. And if they can get in tune with like, my chest is getting tight, which means I'm anxious or mm-hmm. angry or whatever that's associated with. And every person's different. That's why this is hard. But yeah. really helping them get in tune with their own bodies so um being in attuned to your kids is one you being able to recognize their signals but then also helping them recognize their own signals so that they can do that so i think a good foundation basic point is like where do you feel that feeling in your body and that's why every therapist asks that but it's about um learning what that feels like because some people don't know what fight or flight feels like yeah And so it's starting from the ground up. 80% of our communication that happens within our body happens from the body to the brain, which is also something we talk about in our nervous system masterclass. Um, With more info on that also at the link in our TikTok. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. But so um, what we do is we identify like, totally cool. What does that feel like in our body when I'm just cool and I had a good day? And like we kind of talk about it and I often use like cooked pasta noodles or like dry pasta noodles like what's the difference there like what does it feel like um so being able to support your kids and identifying what's happening for them to build that awareness but also for you as an adult what's happening in your body because your ability to be able to recognize your rise of the wave and write it down is going to change how you can support your kids in learning the same skills and also supporting them in co-regulation which we've talked a lot about So those are some skills. The last thing I want to talk about is the power of the reframe for ourselves and our kids. So when we parent our kids, we want to speak love and kindness into them. We want to do all all those things, right? And when we're able to speak with kindness to our kids, it feels good. Like it feels good when they're empowered. And so what I want you guys to know, and this is almost a direct quote from Lindsay, is that you are a good parent and you are able to parent yourself. I said that? Yes. Damn, I'm good. Yes. I forgot I even said that. So when we identify, and if this resonates with you, you're like, these are some of the symptoms I come up with. If you identify with some of those being associated with your character, I want you to revisit that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not lazy. I misplaced my key. Mm-hmm. I'm not irresponsible. My pet died in that sad. Yeah, and I think if we can't go to positive, because um, sometimes our, our subconscious or our brain rejects positive. So if it's like, I'm not lazy if you want to say like, I'm motivated, your brain's going to reject that. But it might just be like, I misplaced my key, like a more yeah. neutral yes. statement. Like neutrality is very important in mm-hmm. this. Um, and we've talked about it with like affirmations and stuff too. I just have to add random squirrel thought. I thought you were going to quote me with my quote last night where I said, we all hate ourselves on the inside. <laughs> and I was like, that, that is not in line with today's podcast. I mean, it kind of is. And so if you think about your inner critic, when these kinds of struggles come up for you, like, man, I just forget everything. I'm so stupid. Like, why do I keep forgetting this? It's like, okay, we're going to try to challenge that. Like, would you look at your child and say, you're so stupid. You keep forgetting to turn in your homework. Why would you do that? No. My hope is now, and I'm going to encourage now. <laughs> I was just thinking some parents would, but that's not the... No. This is not the message. No. So what I would want you to do is speak how you would to your child. 
I would want you to say, and this is like, I'm not stupid, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of being like, oh, I recognize right now that I'm calling myself stupid. I would say, I forgot to turn in my homework again. Yeah. And I think that, yes, speaking how you would speak to your child, you could never imagine yourself speaking to your child that way and you see the little light that they are. Another thing that can be really helpful is like imagining your small self Mm -hmm. and how would you have wanted your parent to speak to you in that moment? How can you speak to yourself in that moment now? And it's all intertwined, right? Because we want to parent our inner child in the loving way that we parent our kids and that's where the inner child healing comes in. So we want to talk to ourselves in that loving, kind way. Yes. So when we talk about inner child, healing the mother wound, reparenting, this is what we're talking about. Just so you guys know, there's like a whole, that those are all connected. So, and it's not even like Lindsay said, neutrality is really important. So it's not like, I'm not stupid. I'm inspired. It's like, I'm not stupid. I forgot to reply to this email again. Right. And I just had a light bulb moment. I'm thinking like, I work with a lot of parents whose kids have a lot of negative self-talk and the parent's default is to counter that negative self-talk with you're amazing and you're kind and you're the best friend and you're the best friend and everyone deserves to have you as a friend. I'm thinking someone specifically that has some friend stuff. And while that's true, and I know you fully believe that about your child, your child doesn't yet. And the more Mm -hmm. you try and convince them, the more their body rejects that and shuts down. So it's more important to move to a more neutral statement that says that you're, maybe it's like, you're not an awful friend, but you try your best to be a good friend. Yes, exactly. And so when we're looking at, now let's apply this to parenting with our children, right? So with um, the phone example for my eight-year-old, am I responsible enough? And now we're trying to prove how responsible we are, right? Because now it's a character flaw. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not responsible. They don't think I'm responsible. Well, really it's a developmental thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a developmental Like her eight-year-old thing. brain is never going to be responsible enough for a cell phone. Yes, exactly. So that's... It's got nothing to do with her. This is, <laughs> so this is how we move neutral. Yeah. So what I said is, I was like, honey, I know that you are responsible. And that's not what I... I mean, I didn't mean to tell you that you weren't. So, and then I explained, I was like, we can have a phone when our brain develops more. Because right now, our brain isn't developed enough to keep appropriate behavior on a cell phone. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh. Well, and I even, with phones, this is kind of a tangent, but not. I use in in my house, like, because my kids talk about wanting a phone. My seven-year-old wants a phone. Um, We talk about how phones are not good for our brains Mm -hmm. and even mom's phone isn't good for her brain yes and so I use it for work and I try and be really intentional but like talking about like tablets in the morning I'm like "Mm, uh tablets aren't good for our brains in the morning it's not I don't reflect it back to like their behavior like you're on a 10 and you're whiny and have an attitude if you watch YouTube before 10 a.m that's not what I say even though I probably have in the past and that's something I want to say I (laughs) instead say like maybe true tablets are not good for our brains in the morning it makes it hard to focus and to yes. like stay calm and think through things so we're just gonna wait till the yes. afternoon to do our tablet time and that doesn't have to be like your parenting like belief about tablets but I think it's sometimes how we how we say things to our kids um and taking that extra moment I think to respond instead of react right so when mm-hmm. they're begging for the tablet or the phone or whatever um and we get heightened taking that moment to regulate ourselves helps you be more intentional in your wording or in your reframing if you have to go back and reframe later. Yes, exactly. And so that's what we did. We made it neutral. It's not assigned to her at this point. Like we depersonalized it. 
it's neutral. It's like our brains just need to develop more. Like Every it's not good for our brain. I was like, not. and that's true of, I was like, no eight-year-olds have the brain that's ready for that. And so now that's less of a hyper focus for her and it's less of a, like my character. I'm not responsible mm-hmm. to enough to have a phone. So mm-hmm. that's no longer a conversation that she approaches me with in that manner. Honestly, which I think is incredible for for her. And she's even tried to, to like educate her friends about their brains and their phones, which I think is hilarious. So I was like, how to, how to tell your mom's therapist. But so that's in the when we're discussing parenting skills, that's what I want you to focus on. It's not that your teenager is irresponsible. They're not turning in their homework because they're irresponsible. This is a conversation I had with a parent like earlier this week, actually. It's like we out of sight, out of mind. So because our homework isn't at the front of our mind or available for us to see, it's easier to forget. It's not that we're irresponsible. It's that we continue to forget. So what systems can we put into place that might support you? This goes back to like approaching things. We talk about this all the time, like approaching things from a curiosity standpoint. So like instead of, I can't believe you forgot to turn your homework and again, you need to get your shit together or whatever we might want to say to our teenage kids, like, what gets in the way of you turning the homework in? I know you do it. I see you sit at the kitchen table and do it every day. What gets in the way of you turning it in? Mm-hmm. Oh, what's exactly. that I forget? Okay, well, what can we help you do to remember? Yes, exactly. And then it's not a fight and it's a collaboration yes. and you're not, like, creating this dynamic where um, it's a power struggle because we want to, like, hold our kids' hand and guide them through life instead of battling them through life. Yes, and with teenagers, collaboration and buying is probably the only way you're going to get any kind of like mutual <laughs> all understanding. Kids. All, all kids. kids. But especially teenagers <laughs> because they have more autonomy and yeah. Yes. So needless to say, that's kind of where I'm at for today. That's today's episode. This is literally just the intro of this book. So it's going to be juicy. But I wanted to give you guys some information on people that are neurodivergent tend to gravitate towards your tribe. I want you to embrace that. Once you understand how the brain works, that it just works differently and there's ways to hack it, we can have more compassion for ourselves. We can have more compassion for our kids and in our parenting and even maybe in social functions. But outside of that, understanding when you're neurodivergent, you um, understand things differently. It can really impact your self-esteem. Your inner critic can be really strong. But also the flip side is you really have the opportunity to feel those comfortable emotions in a really big way. And that can be an asset to you and to your kid. Like when they're really happy, they're really happy. When they feel love, they feel love in a big way. Hey, but understanding that emotional intensity is going to be different. Emotional control is going to be different. Um, Gaining self-awareness in the body for yourself and teaching self-awareness in the body for your kids. And then also the power of the reframe and reparenting ourselves and being able to speak that into our children. That was a great summary. Yay. So ending quote, just because I loved it. And I think I'm, I'm a huge advocate for education, which is why I think Lindsay and I are both so passionate about what we do. But learning how my brain tends to function helps me develop hacks and workarounds to get things done and be gracious to myself when I don't. Wait, say that again. It says, learning how my brain tends to function helps me develop hacks and workarounds to get things done and be gracious to myself when I don't. Write that on your mirror, everyone. You need it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. 
Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, Creating Community and Smashing Parental Stigma, Embracing Mindful Motherhood and Positive Parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.